You are listening to the Indie Creators in the Joy Zone on KLBP, Long Beach Public Radio on 99.1 FM and online at klbp.org. This is your hosts, Suzanne Toro and Thomas Artivani. Let's enter into the joy zone with these indie creators. Follow, follow the sun, and which way the wind blows when this day is done. Something is happening here, but you don't know what it is, do you, Mr. All right, well, listen, welcome to KLBP 99.1 FM Long Beach. You're on Indie Creators in the Joy Zone with Suzanne Toro and Thomas Artivani, and we're live. We're live, baby. So uh, we hear all sorts of wonderful things about your poetry. Can Can you just elaborate a little bit more on all the little lovely things that you contribute? to your world and your society? Ah, well, let's see, in a thumbnail. Uh, I am a poet and I am also a painter. So trying to bring both words and um, eye candy. That that, that qualifies you for being an indie creator in the joy zone because it sounds like (laughs) you're you're having a great time doing what you do. I mean, mean, how could you not have fun just hanging out Doing poetry and uh, doing music and painting and whatever. Do you do music? No, is that the next guy? I listened to a lot of music. It's a great all. music collection. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, for me, music uh, po- poetry is music. I mean, there there's a there's a meter, there's a beat, there's a cadence, there's a particular way I read and I I hear my poems. So my editing process is really as much about the sound of the verse as it is about the sort of the content and the pictures that I'm painting. Well, great. Well, this, this, this is a celebration of, of the arts and also an awakening and, and keeping an awareness at the forefront of our Long Beach community that the arts are extremely powerful. Uh, asking us to evolve and to be better on our own terms is really what art asks of us. I mean, how, how are you using your art to evolve as a human? Can you can you go into that a little bit? I know that's a very weird. <laughs> that's little, a big question, Thomas. <laughs> big question, but I process. I guess I process the world around me and the experience that I'm having, the the ups, downs, confusions, and quandaries, and 
I sort of tackle that inner weather, uh, not not necessarily to try to pin it down, but but just to to work through and try to create something constructive. It may not be a conclusion, but at least it's a it's an object of that experience. And so, certainly, you know, through these last four months or so, uh, it, it's been a lot of time alone. Uh, I was telling Suzanne that I, I uh, once I started sheltering in place, I was not only writing poetry, but I'm, you know, as a painter, I was also uh, painting a lot. And I didn't have access to all of my oil paints and canvases and full range of brushes and this and that that are in my art studio. So I would just, I took the materials that I had here at home, which was sort of an old bucket of acrylic paints and a couple of pads of, um, arches cold cold pressed paper and i would just paint um first scenes from my interior you know, i have a lot of paintings on the wall and outdoor space so i would just paint uh little vignettes of what my shelter space looked like and then i sort of got tired of painting my stuff and wanted to expand <laughs> my uh the exploration of my eyes so i just would write to friends or if somebody would like something on instagram i'd say send me a photo of your shelter space and i'll paint it for you uh and those prompts uh have tried probably have you know 65 new paintings wow. which because they're on paper i ordered from the post office five dollar stamps and got some good envelopes so I've been able to send them out to people which is just a really sweet way to say I love you even if I only know you through Instagram and um, and just spread the art around and then I've hosted um, I do these periodic poetry dinners and I hosted one on Lawrence Ferlinghetti's birthday uh, which was right at the beginning his 101st birthday which was right at the beginning of um, of lockdown and um, have done a few other things and I was uh, saying to Suzanne as well earlier that I just came out of a seven-day workshop with a community of writers uh, sharing poems and writing and and uh, poetry is also a way of just processing a lot of the poems that I've um, been writing recently are really about my questions about how we're going to emerge from this moment and what we're going to do with it. How will we step back into the world more creatively in terms of how we interact with other people, how we treat other people, how we treat the natural world, which we've so um, terribly abused. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully some, some words that also are um, you know, it, inspiring uh, from a consoling standpoint, but also to, you know, kick people into gear because I, I, I don't think we can go back to the way we were. I don't want to. I mean, I think I was a pretty good person, but I think one always has an opportunity to become more aware uh, and work harder at the things that matter to us. To our KLBP Long Beach audience, this is Tamsin. Oh. This is, uh, we're on Indie Creators in the Joy Zone, and we're, we're listening to Tamsin, a painter, poet. She's speaking about her poetry, and she's uh, coming from California, from San Francisco, if I'm correct, correct? Yes, correct. San Francisco, the epicenter of all sorts of wonderful things happening in California. So, uh, and how that's inspired you in your work. You know, not everybody gets to walk around uh, viewing the world through the eyes of a poet. I mean, what adjustments 
your perception must be a little bit different than a, a normal civilian as you walk around and observe your moment-to-moment existence. Do, do you have a particular uh, ritual or way that you go about getting in the mood to receive fresh impressions and to, uh, uh, like, how do you know a poem is ready? Or does it just kind of like appear? Does it just like come out of the ethers and then boom, there you are with your little pencil? And, uh, and then, then, then you're running home to your notebook or, or you're just recording this in your phone or how do you do it? Well, h- how do I know when a poem is ready or when a poem is done? I will tell you, I have two published uh, volumes and every time I read from them, I'm correcting and making adjustments. <laughs> I don't think a poem is ever done in a way or at least fine art, but, but I think prompts are really important and sort of tuning the eye, tuning the ear to, um, you know, in the same way a musician does, like, what's that hook? What's that first lick? You know, and for a musician, it may come from a chord chord progression or a little melody, or it may come from a lyric. And in a way, I sort of operate um, along those same lines. I, I definitely ascribe to the view that everything indicates, everything is a moment, a potential moment of contemplation. Oh, good. Excellent. That's so fun because you can write a poem about this experience, this KLBP Indie Creators experience with Thomas and Suzanne. You know, in the same way, think about a painting, a still life of a pineapple or a lemon. Like you can approach it so many different ways. You can, you can approach it photographically and try to capture exactly what your eye thinks it's seeing, or you could take a more cubist approach and render all of the different angles of that pineapple on one flat piece of canvas. You could use a palette knife and really try to raise the paint so that you actually get the texture on the canvas that you that you get on an actual pineapple. So wow, you're getting really we're getting really juicy about these explanations. Yeah. This little juicy little pineapple, just a little inspired by a juicy little pineapple. Well, and in a poem, you could do the same thing. You know, you could write a poem where it's just you know, words across a, a page that sort of have a spiky quality to them that give you a visual, physical sense of the pineapple. Or you could write a poem about what that tastes, what that does to your tongue when it sits in your mouth. You could write it about the anticipation of what it will feel like when you finally... <laughs> now we all want a pineapple. pineapple. <laughs> or, or the meditation do I ever want to eat this pineapple? Because if I eat this pineapple, no pineapple will ever taste as amazing as this one. There are lots of ways, once that imagination just gets... Um, so, sounds like you're ready to go right now. I'm, I'm ready, I'm, I'm ready. Are we uh, done? I mean, can I? You, know, I mean, you, could, you could just go ahead to get your little piece of paper because you might have a hit on your hands and who knows. It could be, a, could be the one You that, could do it as an impromptu prose. It could be the one that makes you the, uh, the Poet of the Year award. Or who do they give poets Pulitzers? Do they give do they give Pulitzers for poetry? Yeah, they do, right? They do indeed. They do indeed. You are listening to the Indie Creators in the Joy Zone on KLBP Long Beach Public Radio on ninety nine point one FM and online at klbp.org. This is your hosts Suzanne Toro and Thomas Artivani. They do indeed. They do indeed. Have you got one yet? Not yet. Are you close? 
well, I, my, my boyfriend always teases me that my cat is like Brexit. She wants to go in, she wants to come go out, in, out, <laughs> in, out. And he's like, you know, you're never going to win the Pulitzer if you keep opening and closing the door for Moriarty. So, <laughs> <laughs> the first rule of earning a uh, Pulitzer, I think, is butt on couch and don't get up. So Cool is that as you talk about creating your poetry and as you can feel you kind of drop into a different zone and get and it can start to experience you in front of this mic and in, in the camera in the little zoom camera that we have and it's interesting how sometimes an interview can get in the way of an artist whereas we never really get to see the artist it's fun to really get a glimpse into um why somebody would even go down the road of being a poet or being a painter. When they edit the school systems, the first thing that goes is are the art programs. And that's such a frustrating thing for me because that's the essence and the soul of the people walking around that they're saying, hey, that's the first thing that needs to go. When in actuality, hell, you should be cutting chemistry and algebra before you cut art classes. Yeah, there's some statistic of uh, if you ask a child up until the age of eight, I can't remember if it's eight exactly, but roughly, if you ask a child if they're an artist, up until the age of eight, a vast majority of children will say yes. You ask them after that point, and a very small number will say that they're artists. And I, I didn't begin to call myself a poet until maybe six years ago. I'd sort of write- Really? Yeah, I'd write poetry <laughs> quietly. Quietly on the side and painting. I, I always painted a little, but I've only really been painting in earnest for the past five years. And I would say to anyone listening out there, uh, painting and poetry is not my day job. It does not pay yeah. my mortgage. It is not the though it's the most. Finally, I have a one word or two word now description. Of, <laughs> How, how, what I think I am or how I would characterize myself because before that I would really only talk about the sort of professional day job, which was always a more complicated series of, and I always wanted to be able to say, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I'm an accountant because it's just a one word. So now I can say, I'm a painter, I'm a poet. But the, the day job work has, has, design and language in it because I, I do brand strategy for mission-driven organizations and individuals so kind of help them find the poetry in this thing they're trying to bring to the world whether it's a, a cause campaign or a nonprofit or a, a company that that wants to do good in the world so it it is a, a way to think about that for your listeners is you don't just because you can't either afford to or don't want to spend 100% of your time becoming some form of artist, it doesn't mean you can't still play deep and long in that space and have it enrich what what your, your sort of paying job Baby, is. Baby, I've been waiting. I've been waiting.
how, how well listen how, how interesting would Gibran be if he didn't suffer so much being drunk in a bar on a street corner or laying in a gutter I mean it's the suffering it's the things that he's doing when he's not able to create that sort of made that individual's poetry so poignant to the human condition uh, and and what would what would Whitman be if he didn't spend all that time walking around in the woods and playing around with all those boys and girls and and experiencing life in a very direct fashion it's the playing around it's the experiences that you like you you go to work that's great i mean then now your poetry is going to be reflective of a working more of a working class individual without that experience of going to work or having to to deal with people or to come home tired or to figure out how to manage the things that are most valuable to you. I mean, what, what would you actually really have to say? Right. I mean, you, there, there are all different paths. You know, Wallace Stevens, who's one of my favorite poets in terms of the verse that he wrote, was a lawyer for an insurance company. And he used, to write, he used to write in the train on the way to his office. Like, you could not imagine anybody sort of less inspiring if you were writing that character, you know, something straight out of <laughs> bar. But, you know, the poetry is, is he's a modernist. It can be incredibly experimental. And, um, you know, he's one of the poets I go to when I'm, I just want a little bit of something to get my juices flowing. So what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean by that when you say experimental? Because most of the terms you're using are way over my head in terms of liter literary terminology, and I'm I'm just assuming that maybe my Long Beach audience may has a few dummies in it just like me. So yeah, I mean a lot of you know you mentioned Whitman, who's the kind of quintessential American um, poet who sort of broke from the tradition of these very strict forms, these very um, sometimes ornate. Uh, formal patterns of verse where, you know, think about Shakespeare, iambic pentameter, that's bum 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 bum. There's a particular rhythm, there are a particular number of syllables per line, you know, there's there's a rhyming pattern and French poetry, there's a sestina, there's a villanelle, which have all of these rules to them. People like Rimbaud and, um, you know, many non-American writers, but they, they began to break those patterns. And Whitman was sort of one of the most revolutionary to begin with this basically long um, catalog of, of human experience. And, and to begin with, I celebrate myself and I sing myself. And then just going into you know, this blade of grass and this woodchuck and this, this urge I feel in my body. These were not, these were not sort of polite um, subject matter. Well, to me, you know, you know, you know what you know what he brought to me. To me, he brought to me a portrait. To me, he brought to me a portrait on the page. He brought to me, uh, and as, but the cool thing about the the poetry, I'm sure your poetry. I, you, by the way, be prepared to read at least two of yours. Okay. We have to have at least two or two of yours going. So I want you to think about that for a second. But what the cool thing with Whitman was that was the first poet to really create a big picture of the era and the time and the things that people were feeling between each other and the dynamic of the relationships and 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 where priorities were so it was kind of like looking at this big canvas but you were watching the painter paint it for you in your imagination and that's what i found so uh, and i was unobstructed by the structure of it i was just kind of drawn into it to me that that was probably the one of the first poets i read i, I fell in love with of course then you have then you have your shakespeare and then you have your other stuff but to, even shakespeare's 
ability to uh, dazzle you with the juxtaposition of his of his statements uh, and, and get so much across in such a short amount of time. I mean, what a what a wonderful what a wonderful talent that is, right? And so, yeah. well, Tamsin, if you can share because the the juxtaposition between you know being classically trained, let's say, and the just reckless uh, wordsmith <laughs> that maybe writes on a wall and doesn't really worry about the the structure. If you if you can share a little bit about for you for your journey, because I'm it's funny you're wearing pineapples, Thomas. I met Tamsin. We met on Kauai by serendipitously, <laughs> and I you know she she has quite the background, especially in English. And so I like very uh, cheapestly was giving her my book <laughs> it's like Which the biggest wonderful. fear anyone could yeah. but well but you know it's like learning to do something from the end and backing into it so but if you could share a little bit about that because there's so much value like i fortunately grew up in an elementary school where we had to recite a lot of poetry we were encouraged to write poetry not from necessarily a technical standpoint i remember going up into grades going I don't know how to diagram a sentence because they just wanted us to speak it orally, write it. There were no limits to what we were allowed to create. And then being like, oh, I want to understand. But if you can share on your journey, because I, I've watched you, I think you've gone from maybe that formal environment and then invited yourself to get out of bounds a little bit and maybe come back in. I've never taken, I was an English literature major, but I never took a poetry class. And other than the two poetry workshops I've done, one in Todos Santos and this one I just did, Community of Writers, I've never taken a class. So I'm, I'm self-taught, but I've read a lot, which I think is, you can't read a book about how to surf, you just have to get on the board, right? So, yeah. Um, and I do have an affection, as I think most people do, for rhyme and meter and narrative. People like stories, they like the musicality of rhyme and it doesn't have to be a, a obvious rhyme but like an echoing of you know a, a long a sound a short i sound the body feels these things even if the mind hasn't processed yeah. what's happening you know iambic pentameter is a which is shakespeare it really appeals to people it's like the the beating of a heart bum 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 Bum, bum. You don't have to know yep. that it's iambic pentameter to feel the effect of it. So I like to think about all of these things as being, you know, it's like a different kind of brush or a different kind of pigment or cold wax. These are all of the things that you as an artist can use to try to bring as much richness to the experience of receipt of that that poem as I can give you. And sometimes if it's a poem where I'm talking about how disjunct, dis, disjuncted, if that's even a word, it is. <laughs> I think about poetry is you can make up words, you know, how, yeah. how much rupture there is in the world right now. The fact that I can do that with what technically we would call an enjambment where the, the body, the ear is expecting something mellifluous to happen, but they, they, they hit a wall, a sonic wall. It, that experience that happens through your ears and then your body is that poem 
making you feel what the poet wants to communicate, which mm. is that this things in this world are unexpected and jarring. But maybe what that poet what that poet will feel he or she or they want to do is by the end of that poem make you feel that it's okay, even even though the world is like that. And they may end with like a very noticeable rhyme or some other element of harmony. So the this is why I'm I I think that there is to say oh, I don't like any formal poetry. I'm only just gonna write free verse that's off and running. Very few poets who are really poets do just free verse off and running. They're, they're, they're either, they have such a strong sense of how to manage their audience and contain their feelings in language, that even if it feels very um, conversational, there will be, elements in that that make it a poem and not just a conversation sitting on right. a page in skinny type you know just <laughs> formatting is not what makes a poem so i'm like a kind i'm kind of a grab bagger like it just depends i will write poems that are very lyrical and feel like an ode that you know it's it's maybe doesn't feel like it was written hundreds of years ago but it let's hear one let's hear one we got to hear one. <laughs> okay, I opened my document, which is the poems that I wrote in this community of writers. You think about that for a second. You go, I mean, just take take your take take your time. I mean, or the one that just jumps out at you. No, Jeff. all right, I have because because this is a radio program, and you may have some people listening who are Pink Floyd fans. I will yeah. show you how we, I keep calling for Major Tom. <laughs> yeah. Ground control to Major Tom. So here's a poem that's really quite, it's really quite lyrical. Anybody who went to a laser show and, you know, was of a certain age will connect with it. So um, there's sort of a juxtaposition of form with, with the topic. All these kids are picking up on, by the way, Pink Floyd. All these kids are listening to all our music. So they're, 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 they are co-oping. The title is, And All You Touch and All You See. On the wild edge of adolescence... We toss cherry sticks to test our uppermost branches, stretch our mouths to measure the length and force of rain bolts, taste the heartbeats between tracks, merge with the black velvet vault of night. I can suggest, but not assure you, whether the souls of sun stars reassemble as white light passing through a prism I promise I saw the rainbow ray out and that no hope I'd held until then or since seemed closer than your lips. How many decades later, beneath the ice sheaths, a sleepless glacier is tucked back into its nest of underwater sky as the child I was will watch the one I have become seal her wishes in a jar by the door. I dream of my mother, exotic in her lab coat, freeze fracturing cells to map the interface where air rich blood and the tissue of the lung elide. She finds them mirrored in the surface of the earth, ribosomal clusters resembling African river deltas. 
the delicate lace of breath as a drift of Siberian snow. Seen from space, we are all rift and healing. Listen long enough to the dark side of the moon, somehow everything opens a tall jar of size. Ring that bell. Ring that bell. What I'll insert the big one. I'll insert the big <laughs> You are listening to the Indie Creators in the Joy Zone on KLBP, Long Beach Public Radio, on 99.1 FM and online at klbp.org. This is your hosts, Suzanne Toro and Thomas Artivani. Hey folks, it's Dave Bernal, also known as Just Dave. I'm the host of the California Country Radio Show, which airs Thursdays at 3 p.m. with an encore performance Mondays at 5 p.m. right here on KLBP Long Beach Public Radio. The history of California and all the independent artists that we have coming out here grows this scene, and you're going to be a part of it, whether you like it or not. But you're going to like it. Believe me. It's the California Country Show. On KLBP Long Beach Public Radio, I love the I love the I love the wishes in the in the jar by the door. Yeah, that kind of took me away. That that pulled me right in there. That's kind of cool. What inspired that? You know, sometimes they they just take off on their own, and there's a lot embedded in there. There's a lot of now. Uh, it's like a lot of now. <laughs> yeah, a lot of now. A lot of thinking about. Uh, childhood thinking about mortality. I mean, there's my mother whose whole academic career, research career was all about, um, you know, the respiratory system immunity. So now when I read newspaper articles about angiotensin converting enzyme, I actually, even though I'm not a scientific person, it brings up all of these echoes from childhood. And she's now taking her images from her scientific career and turning them into artworks, superimposing mm. satellite images That's, in space and discovering yeah. that the, the patterns within our cells matches the patterns on the surface of the earth, which is very like laser show, tripping, yeah. you know? So what I, I often in my poems, they'll, the first experience with them, I hope is a good sonic experience because there's usually so many things going on and so many possible roads you could go down in your own imagination with them that you can't really kind of follow all that as you're listening. So I want that first reading to just be, wow, I don't know what just happened, but it felt Mm. kind of good and I'd like to try it again. Good. Let's try it again. Let's do another one. Right. Okay. I would like to read that one. I have visuals. Okay, I'll send. It's beautiful, Tamsin. That was beautiful. Thank you. Let's do another one. May I have another? Okay, this one's a little shorter. Title is Disappearing Poets of Always. Disappearing Poets of Always. Love it. A second chance ecology clips gemstone, rock, then bone, mostly harmless. A prisoner ticks down each day in chalk, white picket fence on a rough gray wall. Pressure against the bank, not to forget, 
to say their names, land languaging the souls we never lose. Quarry, what is faster than a leaf can crawl? Single stem in a post-flowering state, orphan to wind rushed alight. The subject position is one cipher for the solitude of unbridled gloom, of a spirit insatiable. This is the cross, all good things are. Street lamps draped in red paper, forefend fevers invisible to human ears. Even to the end, reconsider the syrinx, the dandelion clock, how much of your body is actually even you. Wow. Ring that bell. I'm going to give you the tea bell again, Kim. <laughs> how much of that body is really you? How much of that body is really you? Hmm. Wow. Okay, where'd that it's one come very from? Suzanne what, what inspired? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I have the, the repetitive theme to all my poetry. <laughs> it's just everything and nothing. <laughs> so what inspired that one? Come on now. That one, I started just with the image of um, when you chalk down days. You know, we've all been sort of chalking down days, prisoners in our own houses a little bit, but uh, reading the news about people who really are in prison and thinking about the injustices of the world around us. And I just, something about that, you know, those white lines, I just thought, well, that's not really a white picket fence. But, you know, I just... Then I started thinking about, well, that's almost like when you see white stones all lined up. And so the, the brain just started jumping from, uh, you know, this contained experience of one individual in a confined space to the notion of like the American dream, the white picket fence, and then just thinking from an ecological, geological standpoint of, you know, rocks. So, with that, I then have sort of the building blocks of language. And uh, what I do is I just start playing around with it. And then often the format, which you all don't have the benefit of, you're just hearing me read it. But that one is just a series of couplets. And I have a lot mm. of splash marks, which I, in, in saying it, I try to communicate a little bit those breaks, but it's there, there's a more visible break when you see it on the page. And... Um, sometimes when you see a poem that's just couplets, you'll, the brain somehow knows that there's a possibility that you can just take those as discrete, like mini poems within a long cascade. Right. You don't have to read it as a narrative straight through. And so that was a poem that was a little bit more sort of images, kind of little, almost like imagine if you're in a movie theater and you're just seeing like a flash of different seen mm. different movies but the, there may be a, a melody line that goes through them that the, that the mind works on but some of them may be less obvious than others and all of that is to say that i think people you know suzanne what you described how you first experienced poetry is i really think how people should experience poetry because then they will find the pleasure in it so often the way poetry is taught in school is diagram this sentence, diagram this poem, tie it to a chair and beat a confession out of it. 
Which is so boring because if it only means one thing, it's yeah, and it's super scary. Not a poem, right? And and a, a poem, I think this it has this capacity to literally leap from my body. I pour it into you when you hear it. I my mouth pours it into your ears, and it then goes into your blood, your sweat, your tears, your memories, your confusions, and emerges really more as your poem than my poem. And that's the magic of it. It's, you know, it's, here's the key, but you're the lock. And you're the one that, that makes all the tumblers move. And to say to a student that there's only one way to understand well 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 I, I, I love where you're going with that is that you can't teach poetry unless you're a poet you can have some mediocre individual that went got through college somehow and then wound up in a school attempting to teach poetry and it's probably the the most refined art that we have because it has everything to do with perception certain level of uh Consciousness is required to actually understand the structures that were given by the masters in order to process in a way in which nature actually processes on a high level. So those, you know, yeah, I am big pentameters and all these different structures are simply how the higher mind works. So when you have a lower mind attempting to entice a, a probably a bunch of ge little geniuses out in the audience that are way beyond what this stilted teacher can possibly even begin to pass on, um, that's where the problem lay for me. Uh, po poetry can be, and it's probably a dying art because we have our cell phones and we have all these other forms of media. Hopefully it's, it's, not. <laughs> I think it's expressing itself in different things. Like, uh, I think it's, I, I mean, the poetic mind is expressing itself in uh, in the genius of marketing, let's say, like most of the geniuses these days are involved in branding and marketing, and because they see into the sensitivities and they understand their audiences. But with with a, you know, there's no way you could teach poetry unless you're a poet. Like you could teach poetry, probably. You probably enjoy teaching poetry, watching people. Love it, and I'd love to be a teacher too. And you know, I was I thinking that you should teach because Damson, you're oh. very um, inclusive. Like you're very encouraging. I mean, just even in Inspiring. that moment, like when I was handing you my book, you know, going, oh my gosh, do I really want to give this woman <laughs> this really uh, strong understanding of the English language, my book. <laughs> uh, but, you know, them being brave enough to do that, not knowing you, but, you know, but you're so encouraging and then getting the opportunity to play and write with you and explore, uh, you'd be a great gift to so many um, to kind of, free them of some of the constraints. I mean, having studied architecture, you know, sometimes those disciplines can be very strict and almost squelch your creative impetus uh, because you're trying to conform to something that seems more powerful than yeah, creative there's inception. So, there's so much in this discussion and just, you know, the, I'm sure you've, you've probably had educators on the show. I mean, I think it must be very difficult to be a teacher right now, you know, particularly in the public school system, which is the system that my kids have gone through because you have so many testing standards and requirements. And I, you know, I thought my kids teachers would invite me in during poetry week and um, they were delighted to have someone come in at, a, you know, a real life poet um, and to talk, you know, a little bit differently, but 
it was always they would have to carve out time and it would be very limited because they have this very strict set of requirements or else they don't get their federal funding. And I mean, one of the things that is really incredible that I've noticed just going on my daily walks in my own neighborhood is, you know, there's a guy here in San Francisco, Mike Sullivan, who wrote a book on the trees of San Francisco. He and others who are tree fanatics, arboreals in San Francisco, started doing tree rock, tree walks, where they would chalk onto the sidewalk the name of the tree, the Latin name Aww. of the tree, talk about, you know, this is the only one in San Francisco. This one was planted by a former slave, you know, all of these stories. And families who are actually hanging out together. You are listening to the Indie Creators in the Joy Zone on KLBP, Long Beach Public Radio on 99.1 FM and online at klbp.org. This is your hosts, Suzanne Toro and Thomas Artivani. Hey, Long Beach, this is Kenny Field of the Go Go Boots radio program. You can listen to us Monday nights, 9 to 11 p.m. and again on Friday mornings, 11 to 1, right here on 99.1 FM KLBP. And families who are actually hanging out together, walking around the neighborhood, reading yeah. about the trees. I mean, if, if I had my way, instead of so many Zoom classes, kids would be able to go out, pick five different leaves and tell me what's amazing about them. Yeah. Tell me what's amazing about them. Because that would not only get the imagination going, but it would make you respect the incredible intelligence of the natural world, which so many people take for granted. You know, a teacher probably would not get uh, invited to teach again. They don't have field trips anymore? How disappointing. They do have field trips, but often, and they're for good things like the symphony and museums and things like that. Really engaging the student, because I don't, I think my elementary school must have been like almost based on a Waldorfian experience because it's a Rudolf Steiner experience because we would have to write, write poems, but even our social studies papers had to include, uh, art projects, sculptures with it. It had yeah. to sometimes include food from the orientation of the area that we were describing or or from the region we came from. Um, there was all these cross ways to really reinforce what you were learning. And yeah, you get to interact with the world and you realize that you shape it. You, you just said something really cool. You said something about shaping what? They go back there and they sh- you shape it. You shape what? What are you talking about there? Well, if you, if you say you have a, a schoolyard garden and the teachers take you in there Yes, you can learn science and photosynthesis and you can see a caterpillar in the cocoon, you know, you can learn those things, but you can also learn sort of food chemistry. Let's gather up that chart and let's cook it. Let's see what happens when we combine it with tomato, with salt, with things like that. Let's learn about physics. Um, How long does it take for this leaf to hit the ground? How long does it take for this apple to hit the ground? Now we've learned something about gravity and weight. You couldn't, if you take the natural world as sort of the laboratory of greater learning, it will train a young mind to ask all of those questions. They won't just see a blade of grass or a leaf that's fallen off the tree. They'll think, oh, it's kind of early this time of year for the leaves to be falling. 
did that have something to do with when winter came this year? You know, it will, it will give them the power to reason through different possibilities as opposed to here is your textbook, memorize the date of, you know, this treaty and um, then regurgitate this one-sided view of history. <laughs> your first home, Tamsin, drew forth the interconnectedness, like your mother's even, you know, interconnectedness yeah. of the science and the natural world to our physical world from outer space to our lungs, you know, all those things uh, are so powerful. And actually we could learn a lot by just, I always tell people, go sit in nature, you'll, you'll observe so many solutions to the quandaries of your heart or your yeah. mind you've tapped in and are are being a beautiful muse for some of the solutions you guys are both poets i'm so i'm so lucky to be sitting here with two poets i mean that's so cool two <laughs> smart ladies, ladies that, that are, are just, just knocking, knocking it out, it out here. here the thematic here is in order to be a poet or a painter your direct experience with nature is kind of a requirement the nuanced experience of a moment-to-moment -moment existence is sort of where the poet or the great poet can exist. They're asking us to, to pay attention, asking us to be tactilely aware of our environment, That's right. asking us to, to use our senses to transcend our analytical mind, to uh, have a direct experience with nature as opposed to something that goes through an idea. Uh, the problem, I think, with with our, you know, with our Western education is, is is it's piling on a bunch of intellectual ideas, regardless of it's coming from a book, from an idea to an idea, not turning into a direct necessarily a direct experience of anything, which can actually do more damage to the mind than anything, because you create minds that can't stop thinking, and if your mind can't stop thinking, there's no room for the poet to actually experience a moment, and it seems like. The best poets lay down, somehow they capture the, the moment. Somehow they're able to make pastime present. The, the Tao Te Ching is also like this, this, this book of poetry, uh, and it's, it's, it seems to capture the essence of humanity in its, in its words. And it's really, really quite fascinating. I think that's exactly right. I mean, the, the, the shortest distance between two people is a poem particularly in this moment, the blaming of someone from other countries or other ethnicities. And, you know, to anybody who has read the world's literature throughout time would, would not be able to miss the fact that somebody in a century long gone past in a country that you may never ever visit is capable of putting into words that thing that you feel in your deepest self to be true. You know, what someone once described um, poetry as it's like when you hear a poem that really works for you, it's like remembering a dream you once had that you'd forgotten. It's already inside of you and someone has brought that forward. You know, if somebody who thinks they don't like a particular religion, if that happens to them from a poem written by somebody of that religion, it could transform their sense that really there is no distance between us. As you said, Thomas, like it makes the, it does make the past present. And it also makes the future very much present in our own mind and our own capacity to envision the world the, the way we want it to be. Maya Angelou, pretty much, she captured that for me. I mean, her stuff, you could, she definitely captured the 
challenges of her time. She's 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 a good, nice reference for somebody that allowed you to feel what was happening in those times. Yeah, yeah. Well, very. Oh, my goodness, I'm just, now I'm really getting into it. You're on KLBP 99.1 FM, Long Beach. You're on Indie Creators in the Joy Zone with Thomas Ardovani and Suzanne Toro. We're on with Tansman, a poet, a painter, and we've been getting deep into this poetry thing. We love having poets. We had John Hill on. We, we, we did some spoken word with him, and now we have, we, we've, have, we've managed to enjoy a couple of Tansman's poet. You are listening to the Indie Creators in the Joy Zone on KLBP, Long Beach Public Radio, on 99.1 FM and online at klbp.org. This is your hosts, Suzanne Toro and Thomas Ardovani. It's poems, and, uh, and that's what we're discussing now. So For you to share, like, the the bridge. Tamsin did this great book on bridges. I would love for you to share a little bit about your rewilding project and being from a place like San Francisco where there's a lot of advocacy, there's a lot of uh, projects and initiatives to do well for common man and woman. If you can share a little bit of how you have intertwined your artistic perspective into really bringing it to life. Oh, well, this is a marvelous thing called Sugi, S-U-G-I, which is a uh, Japanese, it's a special Japanese tree. But it's a woman, a friend of mine, Elise, who launched what what initially was an app that allows anybody to fund uh, urban rewilding projects around the world. They've built the um, Beirut River Forest, you know, forest in Cameroon, on, on the Yakima Nation, here in this country all around the world using the Miyawaki method, which is 100% native, 30 times more dense. There's a lot of conversation now about, oh, plant more trees, plant more trees. It helps with carbon capture. Um, But a lot of those tree planting efforts are just monoculture tree stands. And Miyawaki method is way more biodiverse. It's really restoring a healthy ecosystem. And you can do it on just 100 square meters, literally in a backyard. What I'm working with Elise on now is expanding me on the app so we have a more robust web presence. We're working on brand partnerships for a you know donation with purchase, but, but really building not just an action hub for building biodiversity, but a culture hub too where you know there are a lot of fashion designers and artists that are very committed to uh, restoring the world's biodiversity sounds very Hen- henry david thoreau well exactly it's you know we we can't if we if we tear all the biodiversity um we we are a part of the world's biodiversity and when we lose species as we are at an alarming rate we're losing the quality of our air, the quality of our water, our ability to deal with climate change, even a little um, Milwaukee forest in a in a neighborhood in an urban space can reduce our dependence on air conditioning and heating, and it just makes so much sense. But because our government and our large corporations have not been responsible, 
it's great that there are ways for individual citizens and companies that um, are more open-minded to be able to... Oh, absolutely. Oh, oh, come on now. You can never expect the federal government to do anything for you. It's always up to local... <laughs> it's always up to your neighbors. It's always up to you. It's always up to your neighborhood. It's always up to your... If you can... Get, we can do anything locally if there's something that we all understand. And uh, uh, we can create all the change that we really want to create. We don't have to ask permission to do that uh, or expect somebody to do it for us. I mean, how, how, how much would you have gotten done in your life if you had to ask permission or expected somebody else to do it for you? Yes, very little. Very little, <laughs> right? Oh, my God. I mean, it's, it's shocking to me how people want to depend on the federal government to, 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 take, to, to get a job or get a roof over their head or put food in their mouth. Come on now. It's up to our neighbors, our families, our locals to acknowledge an issue or a problem and to uh, compassionately take care of it. That's my feeling about that. And, and in that, there's, there's something that you can do. That's the kind of poetry that, uh, for me, it's like a political activist-type poetry in terms of taking responsibility, doing things, being proactive, not asking permission, uh, taking our constitutional rights and pushing them to the max and taking care of business. I mean, that's what poet, God, there's a, been a couple of poets that freaking drive that home. Who, and who, true what modern, <laughs> no, but, but what poet? I've done a lot of that. Jack Kerouac. Yes. Kerouac. Well, yeah. And I mean, Thoreau, if you want to go way back, love, love those existentialists, love that Emerson guy too. Everything you just said was sending me back to Walden Pond. If you were a goddess and a God, and you look down upon your people, what, are, what would be three things that you would wish for us? You're reminding me of a great Kafafi poem <laughs> called Ithaca. Pray that the journey will be long and interesting. You know, you mm. may meet the Lestergonians and the Cyclops along the way, but you'll also smell beautiful perfume. And I would wish that, and I would just, you know... Wish, wait, what was one? What was the one? Three things. What was the first one? Oh, a, uh, an interesting journey. An interesting, journey. an interesting journey. I would wish, um, I think it's handy to have a magnifying glass because if you, <laughs> if you can't think about what to think about, just take that magnifying glass, take, go out into the woods, look, you will be amazed and inspired. You will never lack for poetry prompts or painting prompts. <laughs> and um, and I would say a uh, a ham radio so that you can listen to this 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 station's um, broadcast from your desert island or wherever you may be. <laughs> Is she talking about KLBP ninety one point one? I love it. She's going to wish us an interesting journey. She's going to provide she, us all she, with a magnifying glass and a ham radio. Indy, yeah. Is she talking about indie creators in the joy zone? Oh my goodness. Yes, that's exactly yeah, radio. So so the journey. She wants us to take an interesting journey, and while we're on that journey, bring a magnifying glass with us. And when needing to be reoriented, listen to Indie Creators in the Joy Zone on KLBP 99.1 FM. Well, if there's anything else you'd like to add and leave with our audience, you've been so intriguing and so generous with your time and so beautiful with your poetry. Uh, maybe you want to leave us with another piece of poetry. I'll read yeah, one yes, more please. poem that is, uh, it's a little bit about painting in the early days of Shelter in Place. Well, you know, you, you know what I love that we've missed, that we should have really put, brought focus to, brought our own magnifying glass to, is the fact that you've remained extraordinarily productive through this downtime, through the shutdown time. 
<laughs> and so we thank you for just being an artist. That's so oh, awesome. Thank you. It's fun. It's fun to be on. This is shutdown poem. This is the closeout poem. All right, it's the called closeout poem. Yeah, closeout poem. People have walk-on songs. I have a closeout poem. So this one's called uh, "Fugitive Color." Sequestered, I gather the visible objects and angles of my days as they turn voiceless. Corners grown in drama, and I make peace with vagaries, like a thin supply of lake pigment. The kind known to fade or go dark with time. I paint twilight in the mornings, and the red memory of flesh made largely anxious by my shy approach. On a good day, I set about to reconstruct the wall of my living room across a single sheet of cold pressed cotton. On the reverse side, the spirit animal of my pepper tree. Dips her jasmine skirt to Passiflora's lavish mop and arching antlers. In truth, alone again, I soldier on with a still life, ripe and raw, plum, clay cup, and empty wine bottles, full-throated embrace of flamed admission, and I vow to play in this moment songs of radical tempo shift. And going all the way, the path walks with the wanderer, scattering cinnamon. Landscape grows thick with scarlet leafwing. A father's ghost throws a net to his barefoot child, but her hands are full with firefly. Forests echo a lizardin crimson. <laughs> Love you, too. <laughs> this was fun. Thanks for having me on. You're awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you want to give yourself a little prompt as to where we can find your poems and your website and stuff like that, you can do that right now if you like. Um, I do have a website, which is just uh, TamsinSpencerSmith.com. Uh, so T-A-M-S-I-N-S-P-E-N-C-E-R-S-M-I-T-H.com. And that's got paintings, poetry, art reviews, Cheers. Good to see you. Hello. Cheers. Ciao, Bella. Thank you, Indie Creators in the Joy Zone. <laughs> it brought me back into a Joy Zone. Yeah, I mean, both of you, both of you poets. I mean, you, should, you could have, you probably really identified with what she was saying. What, what did you get out of that? I love words. So words for me are very inspiring. And so I, I just listening to her just conjures up inspiration and makes inspires me to want to write and then i i love where she goes and how she does we were on a trip in costa rica and we were writing together and it was fun because you know just like the jasmine skirt talking about the tea tree and just creating all these beautiful metaphors that your mind just creates uh, image as you were saying a painting yeah she's right there you could tell that the san francisco political state of mind is definitely with her and john crawford redgate we're gonna do a little country blues soulful man after a soulful woman that's exciting john crawford redgate we're gonna get a lot of music yeah yeah we got we got a musical poet which this, this is gonna be a music filled episode and uh an exploration into a different type of a poet a poet with a with an instrument and uh should be fun all right 
You are listening to the Indie Creators in the Joy Zone on KLBP, Long Beach Public Radio on 99.1 FM and online at klbp.org. This is your hosts, Suzanne Toro and Thomas Artivani.